The Fail On Podcast, episode 034. 2008, I made a stupid decision. Well, it wasn't stupid at the time, but it was a decision to, to create a PR company in LA. And started it for six months. I got a swanky office on Sunset Boulevard with a view of palm trees and the Hollywood Hills. I was driving around in a Jaguar. I thought I'd made it. And then I don't know if you remember 2008, but it was it was like financial Armageddon all of a sudden. And so these clients that I got all of a sudden stopped paying us. And we, you know, people that ordinarily would have become a client were like, no, they're not going to do it because they're all cutting costs. And within six months of opening it, I had to shut the, shut the thing down. I lost a lot of money. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes leveraging failure is not only the fastest way to learn, but is also the fastest way to grow your business and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only likes to share successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs, and this is a platform for their stories. And today's story is of James Swanwick, from being an anchor on SportsCenter for ESPN, to being the author of Insider Journalism Secrets, to selling millions online through various digital and physical products. James is helping people create amazing habits, sleep better, and make money online. He's been a print or TV journalist for over 20 years, writing for newspapers and magazines in the US, UK, and Australia. James is also the founder of Swanwick Sleep, which helps people sleep better through blue light blocking glasses. He's the founder of the 30-day no alcohol challenge and also the 47-day habit hacker program. We'll be discussing how James interviewed Hollywood superstars, including Jack Nicholson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Matt Damon, with absolutely no credentials and no experience. It's crazy how he was able to do this. We'll discuss how James was able to land a job as an ESPN Sports Center anchor after bombing his first audition, and again, not having any anchor experience. So he's able to weasel his way in different places, and it's really interesting to see how he does it. And finally, we'll be discussing the resources and mentorship James found to get started in digital publishing and e-commerce. But first, luckily, all I travel with now is a backpack. For one reason only. It's clothing from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. I don't think they recommend that, but technically, it wouldn't smell. So they claim. So this means I can travel with less clothes since they are self-cleaning. So check out the show notes page for an exclusive fail on discount that you won't get anywhere else. It is amazing stuff, amazing shirts, amazing apparel. Check it out. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the fail on podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and just sign up for our newsletter. That'll be at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. So there's a lot I want to dig into because you have a lot going on. You've got the Blue Blockers product, a podcast, 30-day no alcohol challenge, and you've done a slew of interesting other things, including being an anchor on Sports Center for ESPN. So we'll, we'll get into all that in a bit, but first, just take us back to the first time that somebody actually gave you money in exchange for a product or service you created. Yeah. Well, my background was always as a journalist. I was a newspaper reporter for many years, and I always had a job. 
And then when I went to London, I got a job as a sports journalist. And again, I had a job. And then when I moved over to the US in 2003, I'm from Australia, but when I moved over to the US in 2003, I was like, how am I going to make money here? What am I going to do? And I figured out that I could interview movie stars and sell the interviews to magazines and newspapers around the world. And uh, I was living in a hostel, the Hermosa Beach Hostel, paying $15 a night, living in a bunk bed with a bunch of other snoring backpackers. This is in the first few months that I'd come to the States. And I persuaded a movie studio publicist to let me interview the Hollywood actor Jack Nicholson. He was promoting a film called Anger Management with Adam Sandler back around that time. Yep. So I ended up interviewing Jack Nicholson at the Armitage Hotel in Beverly Hills. And then I, I sent that story to a magazine in the UK called Loaded Magazine. And they published the interview and they gave me money. How much? I think it was 400 pounds at the time, which was about $750. It was a pretty awesome. good exchange rate at the time. And that was my first time, you know, selling a product. Yep. Which or, was the or, interview. Which was the interview. You know, that was the first time you know, outside of a job, you know, when you apply for a job, you get a job, they pay you a salary. So that was the first, that was the first time that someone really paid me for that. And then from there, I just, I just repeated the process. Then I interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was promoting Terminator 3, and then Jennifer Aniston and Ben Stiller for the movie Along Came Polly. And then I just kept doing that and, and money started to come in. So the first time, what actually gave you the idea that you could do this, that you could figure out how to find out, how to get access to these people and actually do this interview? Like what gave you that, what sparked that idea? Well, my experience was as a journalist and now, now I'm in this, this new country where I know no one and I've got to try and figure it out from scratch, right? I just go, what am I going to do? I've got to make money. I can't live in a hostel. I'm a 27-year-old man living in a hostel with you know, <laughs> backpackers. <laughs> So it was kind of born out of necessity. And then from there, I really, you know, I really asked myself, well, what do I know how to do? Well, I know how to be a journalist. So how can I create money for myself? I, I couldn't, by the way, I couldn't get a job in America because mm. I didn't have the right work visa. So right. I couldn't just rock up to LA Times and say, mm. can you hire me? Because right. it just wasn't like that. So I had to do anything I could. So it was like, you know what, I'm just going to create a freelance journalism business out of nothing. And I'm just going to... So when you reached out to that publicist for, for the first one, Jack Nicholson, mm. did you have like did you have some kind of like corporate or like business website or anything like no, that? Or I had, just... No, no, I had nothing. I, I mean, I, I literally phoned Sony Pictures, Warner Brothers, <laughs> 20th Century Fox, Universal Paramount from the Hermosa Beach Hostel. It's <laughs> awesome. And I got the phone numbers from, this is, this is how ancient I'm sounding now, from a phone book. Not like an online yeah. <laughs> thing, a phone book. I just cold called and said, I want to interview movie stars. How do I do it? And someone said, oh, you need to talk to someone in the publicity department. And so they put me through to the publicity department. And only one publicist from one studio gave me the time of day. It was a woman called Anna Whelan from Sony Pictures. She invited me to go in. I met her at the Sony offices in person. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Tell me how I can do, how I can interview movie stars and get paid for it, and she kind of walked me through the process. And you know, two weeks after that, that's when she reached out and said, "You want to interview Jack Nicholson?" And I'm like, "Sweet, that's yeah. awesome, that's cool." So going from there, so you you did a slew of those interviews. What when did it actually in your head turn into like, okay, I can actually not only make a living off this, but like this could spark a business? I think after I got to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then. 
and then I photocopied those articles, those published articles. I literally went to a Kinko's, Kinko's FedEx store mm. on uh, Pacific Coast Highway up there in Hermosa Beach. And I went in and I photocopied it like 30 times. And then I researched the addresses of Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal. And I researched the addresses of newspapers and magazines around the world. And then I bought 30 stamps. And, you know, some of them were overseas. I bought 30 envelopes. I put the article into the envelopes and I sent them off, you know, and just said, hey, look, here's my interview with Jack Nicholson. Reach out to me if you want me to interview movie stars for your publications. And when, when the Schwarzenegger one was, it was offered to me, I was like, damn, my first two interviews ever in LA were Jack Nicholson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, I think the I'm bar, up. The bar's that high. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm onto something yeah. here now. And then it just kind of like flowed from there, you know, like all of a sudden, instead of me trying to tell people, hey, look at me, I interview movie stars. Now, magazines were reaching out to me going, oh, you know, we saw your Jack Nicholson article. Mm. Could you interview George Clooney for the movie Syriana? Can you interview Matt Damon for the movie Stuck on You? And I remember being in New York City, uh, the, the movie studio, I think it was Fox. They flew me from LA to New York to stay at the Regency Hotel on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I think it was on November 30th, 2003. And I, the reason I remember that date because it was the Rugby World Cup final. <laughs> And I interviewed Matt Damon for Stuck on You. And I think that was kind of like the moment where I realized this is, I think I'm onto something here. This is like my third interview I've done. I've done Jack Nicholas, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and now Matt Damon. And not only that, but the studios are, you know, paying a lot of your expenses, right? Yeah, well, they, pay, they paid all of those expenses and they, they sent me over to, to New York. And I was like, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Like, uh, this, is, <laughs> this could be fun. And Matt Damon was cool and we were talking about the rugby cup final that night. And that was on that night because he seemed to be a, a rugby enthusiast. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool. I'm trying to find a photo here of me and Matt Damon that I could show you, but I can't find it. But. Well, if you do find it, we'll, we'll post it on the, uh, on the show notes page. Here it is. This is me. It was the 21st of November, 2003. Hey, you look so young there, huh? Don't I? <laughs> both of you. I mean, you guys both look... Uh, Matt Damon looks like a, like a oh, kid. Oh, he looks like a... Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Just in this hotel room? It was in a hotel room in, in the Regency Hotel. Up nice. On the east, upper East Side, yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. So, you're interviewing all these celebrities. Where did, where did it go from here? Did you just... How, how long did you continue to do that? And then what did that transition to? Yeah, I mean, I did that for a few years. I actually got pretty good. I I, um, I was making a good salary for myself. I figured out how to get a work visa and live in the U.S. So ironically, I didn't need a job. I actually had created a business with you know myself from from, from interviewing movie stars. And then in about two, and I did that for like three or four years and got pretty good at it. I was living in L.A. and a bit in New York. And 2008, I made a stupid decision. Well, it wasn't stupid at the time, but it was a decision to to create a PR company in LA and started it for six months. I got a swanky office on Sunset Boulevard with a view of palm trees and the Hollywood Hills. I was driving around in a Jaguar. I thought I'd made it. (laughs) And then I don't know if you remember 2008, but it it was like financial Armageddon all of a sudden. And so these clients that I got all of a sudden stopped paying us and we, you know, people that ordinarily would have become a client were like, no, nah, they're not going to do yeah. it because they're all cutting costs. And within six months of opening it, I had to shut the, shut the thing down. I lost a lot of money. I kind of ran away to Buenos Aires, Argentina to go and lick my wounds. I decided I was going to go and live in a you know third world country and drink wine, eat steak and learn 
how to tango and learn Spanish. What? So how bad was it? Like, were you financially strapped like all the way down or uh, what was the actual? I wasn't funny. I wasn't like, I, I wasn't like broken and like financially like, like ruined. Like in debt or anything like that? No, I was never in debt. Okay. But I, but it's a, it's a pretty sad state of affairs when you are, you know, at this stage, I'm now in my early 30s, right? 31, 32. And you're living off savings and you're kind of like, man, where did it all go? No income coming in. No income you coming started in. started a business. Yeah. In six months, it crashes. Yeah. So, I mean, how are you actually feeling at that time? Like, obviously, like going to Argentina is a big, fun adventure. But at the same time, you're, you've, you've got to be pretty down on yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. It was like, like I said, I was running away to Argentina. I was right. like trying to escape, you know, and I, I didn't want to, it was hard, it would have been hard for me to have paid rent in Los Angeles, you know, and that, which is why I was, I'm going to Buenos Aires where it's super cheap. And I didn't hardly spend anything. It was great. Lived like a king, hardly spent anything. And, you know, I was just kind of like defeated in the entrepreneurial world because I'd, you know, I'd been steady getting some income for a few years as a freelance journalist. And then I went, now it's time to strike, create a PR company. And then I got kind of wiped out on that. So, yeah. So from Argentina, you spend how long down there? Six months. Okay. So six months you go, what, what prompts you to, do you come back to the US and where do yeah. you go from there? Yeah. I came back to LA. I read a book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, which was all about the power of relationships. And when I got back to LA, that kind of triggered changing my life in a number of ways i decided to quit alcohol i wasn't drinking heavily but i was drinking just enough that it was slowing me down so i took a 30-day break to see how i would feel and i lost 15 pounds my skin got better i had a lot more clarity and focus i started going into new relationships thinking how can i help this person as opposed to what i was doing beforehand which was how can this person help me and one of the people that i helped introduced me to an espn producer who was looking for an international anchor for Sports Center, the, t- the very f- iconic sports show, Sports oh, yeah. Center? I had no TV experience. I'd only had print journalism experience. But you know, I I, I just set myself a goal. I said, I'm going to get on TV. I'm going to get that job. And I ended up auditioning, and my first audition was a complete failure, <laughs> awful, in fact. And then I asked for a second audition, and they gave it to me. And then I, I nailed the second one, and they ended up putting me on air. Two weeks later, and I became a sports center anchor on ESPN. That's insanity with no <laughs> no prior experience. Yeah, no experience. So, um, like that's like the holy grail for people that are do that do broadcast journalism. Yeah. It's like sports center. Like for a guy, that's like that's the that's Mount Everest. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I but I, you know, I, people ask me how did you do that. Well, it was a few things in there. One of them was the person who introduced me to the ESPN producer was someone that I had helped beforehand without asking for anything back so it came back to that whole thing like i'm gonna help people like and th- that was the introduction and then the other thing was just saying kind of like effort i'm gonna go and do this i'm pretty scared to be on tv but i'm just i'm gonna do it anyway and then setting a goal to try and charm the producer to to enough to give me an audition and then failing at the audition but then having the i guess you could say the guts to to ask for another go you could have easily just walked away and been okay let's figure what's next you know yeah so what made you actually go back and and have the persistence to to give it another go you mean after the first after the first failed audition yeah well i was sitting there the producer we were looking at my audition and he was like no 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 and uh he said you know thanks for coming but don't think it's going to work and it was it was like a a a second like a split second where i had his choice where i was either going to get up and walk out with my towel between my legs or I was just going to say, well, the, no harm can come if I 
keep pushing. And so in that second, I went, listen, I know it wasn't good, but may I come back tomorrow? Can I, I'd love to come back tomorrow. I'll just stay in a hotel tonight and I'll come back tomorrow and do another audition. I reckon I, can, I reckon I could nail it with another go. And he was, you know, I, I think he respected the fact that I asked. Mm. I don't, he, he had no intention of hiring me at that point because the first audition was really bad. <laughs> right. Because the first audition, I was like, hello, welcome to Sports Center. This is James Swanick. Lots to get through tonight. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said it was bad too. But then I think in that moment, he said, you know what? I'll, I respect you for asking. Sure, come back. Yeah. It was probably an inconvenience for him, but he, but he let me do it. And then the next day, I just pumped myself up and I went, come on, let's do it. And I kind of nailed it. I went, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Sports Center. James Swanick here alongside Anthony Howard. Here to take you into the weekend with a smorgasbord of sports. Let's start with the NFL. You know, and it kind of sounded a lot better. Yeah. And I think he quite liked the fact that I'd come back and nailed it the second time. He's like, all right, I'm going to hire you and put you on the air in two weeks. Did he tell you that on the spot? Yeah, on the spot. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. And not only that, he got me a limousine back from ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, back yeah. to New York where I was staying. It was And he just like, oh, I'll get you a car back. And I was like, all right. And the car was like a stretched limo. And I'm sitting <laughs> in the back amazing. going, oh, my God. I just <laughs> What got, just happened? I just got a job for Sports Center on ESPN. That's yeah. amazing. So people people overseas probably don't get the magnitude of that. But like in the U.S., it's, it's the ultimate, mm. you know, for sports. Mm. So how long did you do that? And then from there, what happened? Yeah, I did that on and off for two years. So I say on and off. It, it was never a full-time job. It was mm. always like a part-time job. Yeah. And so I'd, I would work for two months there. And then in between, I'd go down to Colombia and live in Medellin. And I mm. like the Spanish-speaking thing. And, and that was when I was trying to be an entrepreneur and get things going. And What were you trying to work on at that point? I, create, I wrote this crappy little book called How to Become a Celebrity Journalist, which was Got about it. how to interview movie stars. And I say crappy because... It didn't sell very well, you know. I only made like it. I was selling it, I think, for twenty nine ninety nine, and I made some sales, but not too many. Like and, as an ebook, or was it yeah, actual as an physical? E-book. Okay, as an ebook, Got yeah. It. And that was kind of my first foray into the online marketing world, and uh, I didn't do very well at it. And then uh, about two years into the sports center thing, I'm like, you know what? I really want to be an entrepreneur now. As good as the ESPN thing was, it was still a job. I still had to be somewhere at a certain time, and as great as it is talking about sport and being on tv which was awesome i wouldn't change it for the world i still wanted to you know i didn't want to have a salary i wanted to be an entrepreneur make my own money do whatever i want to do whenever i want to do it and so i quit the job and threw myself into becoming a full-time online entrepreneur and i was crap at it so your celebrity journalist book didn't do well so where'd you go from there well, I struggled for 18 months, quite frankly. I was back on my ass again. like going, Just trying to figure out what kind of what yeah. to create? What, yeah, I was trying tr- 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 this book. I was, started, like, I, was, I was trying to write a video sales letter. I was learning how to create an autoresponder email list. I mean, just basic stuff that now that I take for granted. I was just learning, you know. I was Foundation, full- right? Yeah. And I struggled. I really struggled. And then about 18 months after I'd left... Sports Center. I became friendly with um, a very famous or infamous online marketer called Ty Lopez, and we just became friendly. And he invited me to a conference that he was having. I went, and at the end of the conference, he was pitching the crowd for him to mentor like a handful of people, twenty five thousand dollars each. And I, something inside of me was like, you know what? It's either going to be short term pain of coming up with twenty five grand, or long term struggle. Of trying to figure out this entrepreneur game by myself so i chose the 25 grand and i 
I had some money sitting in my Australian bank account. I transferred the money over and he became my mentor for about 18 months. And what that did was that it really um, sped up the process of learning. So instead of me trying to figure out on my own, I had a mentor who could say, do this, do this, do this. And, you know, it just sped everything up. Just for some context, when was this? What year was this? This was 2013. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay, so you so you bought into his 25k program, and that's a it's a very common thread amongst a lot of people I talk to, is joining joining masterminds, finding mentors, paid, mm. because you know that's that's the fastest way to get somebody's attention, and then well, it's also the fastest way to get your own attention. Yeah, that's so true. Because if you pay money for coaching, then you really focus and invest. You know, hundred percent. You take it seriously because you've just coughed up all that money. If you get something for free. You, you don't, don't value it as exactly. much. You don't. Yeah. So people people never quite understand that. I have this program now called 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge and it costs $67 to do it, right? Not very much. It's cheap. 67 bucks to for me yeah. to walk you through 30 days of not drinking. But people still challenge me to this day and they're like, why would I pay you $67 if I could do it for free? And I say to them the same thing. You can do it for free. But you probably won't. <laughs> but will you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the truth is people who try to do it yeah. themselves invariably don't. As soon as they pull out a credit card and they pay money, $67, is the moment they go, I'm going to complete this 30-day challenge. Like, I'm going to do it. And then they do. Exactly. Because they've got skin in the game. So it's a big lesson for me. Like, I pay for, for most things now. I mean, some things I'll, I want to... I'm not, I'm, Warren Buffett, the world's richest man, is never going to mentor me, right? But it doesn't mean I can't go to YouTube and type in Warren Buffett financial advice. And so I'll take it that for free. But if there's stuff I really want coaching on, I'll pay for it for in-person or, or more specialized coaching. If you had to boil it down to one thing, what's the biggest takeaway that you got from Ty? It was to launch ideas quickly. So if you're not embarrassed by your first by the first version of your first product, then you didn't launch quickly enough. So don't try to make things perfect initially. Just get something out there, get feedback from people, and then uh, polish and modify as you go along. That was a big lesson because previously I'd be like, oh, I've got to make sure things perfect, check everything, and I'd delay, delay, delay. No, I was like, just get something up, throw it up there, and then that momentum will get you moving forward. That's, I think that's such a huge valuable lesson because I think what holds a lot of people back at the beginning is kind of analysis paralysis where they want everything to be perfect, like you said. So for somebody listening, what would be like one piece of advice you would give them? They don't know what business to start. They don't really have an idea in mind, but they know they want to do something in the entrepreneurial space. What would you tell them? Well, whatever, I mean, again, launch super early. Like whatever you want to do, whether it's a physical product or an information program, Create an MVP, a minimum viable product. Don't try to like reinvent the wheel, just whatever your expertise is. If you want to create a digital program, do six little videos teaching whatever it is you specialize in and then put up a program which which encourages people to either get your program for free or pay $10 or $100 or whatever it is for your program. You don't need a fancy studio. You don't need fancy lights. You don't need a fancy camera. Half of the videos in my 30-day no-alcohol challenge, I just filmed on my iPhone. You know, like an iPhone now is, is like a portable movie studio, essentially. Totally. So you don't need to book studio space. You don't need to do any of that crap. Just do it. Like you could do it right now. Like ask yourself this question. What do you, what do you know that, that most people don't know? Like what can you, what skill do you have that you could coach someone that they would pay for it? And then pick up your camera, like your phone like this, 
open it up, go to the camera, put the camera on your face, go to video, and go, <laughs> how to record a podcast. Today, I'm going to show you how you get guest. Tomorrow, I'm going to show you how you actually record. Then I'm going to show you how to upload. Then I'm going to show you how to put it on iTunes. And then I'm going to show you how to promote it. I love it. There's like I've, so I just true. I just recorded the the welcome video. It was 15 seconds, and there you go. First piece of content yep. done. I mean, that's it. Just launch. Just do it now. I love it, man. People, and I kind of got this. I got I got the sense that you were like this because I was listening to one of your podcasts, and in the background, I could tell it was recorded like on the go. I think you were walking in Nashville or something. Mm. It might have been a recent one, mm. but um. I could hear a little bit of wind in the background. It mm. didn't bother me. Mm. But I was like, hey, this guy doesn't give a rip. He's just going to put it out there because he's yeah. going to record and go. He's not going to slow down. He's not going to make sure it's perfect. Yeah. And just going to put the content out, which was cool. Yeah. I, I, half of my podcast, I have this podcast called The James Swanick Show. And, and half of the, the episodes there, I literally, I just pull out my phone and I record. And I, like, I'll sometimes apologize. Sorry if it's a bit, <laughs> sometimes it's a bit windy right yeah. now. But people tend to like it when I'm walking out and about it's real. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's more authentic. It's not, you know, I think it's I think it's better when it's not in the studio. Yeah. Okay, so after so what was the what was the main business or product or service you created after the mentorship with Ty? Like what did you get into at that point? Yeah, I created this information product called Thirty Day No Alcohol Challenge and it's just like we were saying, I recorded thirty videos which help social drinkers take thirty days off alcohol. Every day that I send them a video which says, Welcome to day three or welcome to day seven. Today I'm gonna teach you how to respond to friends when they say, Go mm. on, just have one and so forth. And then um I just launched it, put it up, a couple people bought and then a few more people bought and then a few people bought and now it's had thousands of people go through it. While that was happening, I got this idea. I wanted to create a pair of stylish blue light blocking glasses. So on the market at that time were these really ugly Uvex glasses, the kind of glasses that you'd you'd wear on your face if you were at a gun range, you know, trying to protect your eyes from shrapnel or if you were mowing a lawn and trying to protect your eyes from, you know, stones or rocks or something. And people would wear these glasses at nighttime to try and improve their sleep. So the idea is that when you're staring into your cell phone at night or you're watching TV, the blue light from your display uh, triggers your pituitary gland and prevents your body from creating melatonin, which means you're unable to sleep well. And so I was wearing um, a pair of ugly ski goggles at night watching TV because I was, you know, the, the ski goggles had this yellow tint to them. And uh, I realized that my sleep actually was improving. But the problem was is that it was... I didn't want to wear ski goggles all the time <laughs> and I didn't want a pair of UVX glasses. Right. So I had this idea for creating a stylish pair of blue light blocking glasses. I reached out to China to some China manufacturers and said, I want to put an orange lens into like a kind of Ray-Ban style glass um, frame, sunglass frame kind of thing. And they sent me some prototypes. I showed it to some friends. I picked one, one kind of uh, style. And then I, I launched it on Amazon. I started selling blue light blocking glasses on, on Amazon and that's now turned into a, a bigger sleep company where we sell sleep supplements and sleeping masks and things like that. And it's been pretty successful. What was the biggest struggle getting that business started? Is that, is that the first physical product that yeah. you launched? Mm -hmm. What kind of challenges did you run into with that being your first physical launch? Well, you're dealing with the Chinese, so it's always tough in terms of communication. Things are very slow there as well. So finding a manufacturer that could produce that that uh, the first prototype or the first glasses was was a struggle. 
you know, you have to pay some money up front to be able to get like a minimum order quantity. You can't just say, oh, can you make 10 for me and send it over and I'll see if they sell. No, we had to, we had to order 300. And so there's a cost involved with that, thousands of dollars, you know. So that's always scary because you're putting down thousands of dollars, but you don't know whether anyone's going to buy it or not. And then you launch and then, you know, you've got problems. You've got to pay attention to like, can people, can people put their credit cards in safely and can you actually take payments and you've got to set up an LLC business and... You know, you you trying to you're begging people to write reviews because the the Amazon algorithm likes reviews, and so people say they'll do reviews and they don't. So now you're trying to contact them, saying, "Please, can you write reviews?" And you know, it's like a it's yeah. like a you kind of it's not a struggle in the beginning, but it's a it's very front heavy work. Mm. You know, you're kind of pushing yourself. How did you know it would sell? Because like you said, you had to you had to order a large quantity. Yeah, well, we we didn't know if it, was, <laughs> it would sell. Okay, but so you didn't do anything in like in terms of of testing it beforehand like in i mean terms i of- tested it with i, I gave the, the the prototypes out to my friends mm. and said which ones do you like and they chose the best one but we didn't know whether anyone was actually going to pay money for it got it 300 was the minimum order i could order you, we got lucky actually they probably they probably could have pressed us to, to order a thousand of them sure so I was happy that there was only 300 even though that was still thousands of dollars so i was willing to set fire to the money and to the experiment and waste time to take the risk. So you looked at the worst case scenario and said, you know, if, if I always have these 300 in my apartment, I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I was just willing to lose that amount yeah, of money. Yeah. You know? Like it's not like I was wealthy or anything at the time, but I was willing to lose you know, thousands of dollars to take the risk. Sure. How do you define failure? For me, failure is just another way of getting you closer to success. So I don't, I don't look, I mean, I, I still say, are you allowed to swear on this podcast yeah. or not? Go at it. <laughs> I still say fucking shit and God damn it. I mean, I still yeah. say those things when things go wrong. But once I get out of that emotional state, I look at it and I go, awesome. Now I'm a step closer to succeeding because now all I've done is find, found a way that doesn't work, which now will get me closer to the way that does work. So you know, Mike, there's this famous Nike commercial from the 90s where Michael Jordan, the great basketball player, is like, I've, you know, 27 times I've been entrusted to take the, wing, the, the, the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. So fail to, failure to me is just like fail quickly, fail often. Don't try to fail, but like, you know, try not to fail. But when you do, do it quickly. Do a lot of it and then go again. And then the quicker you – to speed up your rate of success, you just – you know, you got to double your rate of failure really. It really goes with uh, what you said earlier regarding the MVP, right? Like just get something out there fast. It yeah. may work, it may not, but you'll get feedback quickly and you'll yeah. know how to adjust from there. Embrace the chaos is what I say. It's like I tell my, my team now, like I'm like sometimes someone will say, oh, it's like, oh – shouldn't do that or there's too much stuff going I'm like embrace the chaos just go just go just it's okay if it's messy that momentum will still push us forward totally yeah so with everything you're doing now do you have support do you have team remote virtual yeah. so it started off as just me and my brother mm. Tristan who lives in Brisbane Australia I'm here in Los Angeles and then since then we've got a customer support I mean I had an assistant here in LA who just helped me out with a few things and then she's since been promoted to the head of our customer service so she now deals with customers who call in and, and, you know, helps with orders and things. And then I have a virtual assistant 
in the Philippines who helps me with administrative type things. And then we have a Facebook ads manager who lives in Australia and he runs face paid Facebook ads to our Swanic Sleep sleep products. And then we have an accountant who we pay a monthly fee who tracks bookkeeping and all that stuff and social media manager and, you know, it's starting to get pretty pretty big in terms of manpower. Nice. Mm. What's the last thing that you did to get outside your comfort zone? <laughs> well, it's not business related. It's actually woman rela- woman related, <laughs> if you like. There was this very attractive woman who lives in LA that I uh, stumbled across on Instagram somehow. And I was trying to figure out how I could meet her for like 18 months. I knew she went to the gym down the road from me, Equinox mm. Gym on Sunset. And I go to that Equinox gym, but I never saw her there. And so I would start look like on occasion, I'd look at her Insta stories and I would see her around LA, but I, I never seemed to bump into her. Right? I just, for 18 months, I was like, oh, I'm going to be there. Anyway, finally, I remember it was a Saturday morning. I'd been to Equinox. I came home and she was, I saw the notification that her Insta stories was, you know, that she'd posted something and I had a look and it was her walking into the, <laughs> the Equinox gym, literally like five minutes earlier. Yeah. And I'm like, I know where she is. This is my my shot. And I remember sitting, I was sitting at that table right over there as we're recording it. Mm. And I was like, I'd already been to the gym, right? I I didn't particularly want to go back. I was like, man or mouse, James, man or mouse. And I was so nervous because she's a very attractive woman. And for 18 months, I'd been like hoping to bump into her and hadn't. So now all of a sudden I've got, as any man would attest, if you're meeting someone that you're wanting to meet, you get kind of nervous. So anyway, I said, F it, I'm just going to do it. So I, I, I went quickly went back to the gym and uh, I saw her and then I was like, well, I can't just walk up to her in the gym and like start talking <laughs> to her. Or maybe I've got to wait outside or whatever. Anyway, she ends up walking into a damn yoga class and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm going to have to do this, aren't I? So I go into the yoga class myself. I've already done a workout two hours prior yeah. to that. And it was one of those 90 minute like master class yoga things right and i don't do yoga so and then i'm like trying to do the thing oh it was terrible i was sweating profusely anyway to to cut a long story short the whole time during this 90 minutes i'm like really nervous because i gotta you know i've got to take my shot i gotta introduce myself to this girl and so at the end of the class she's walking out and i walk up to her and i introduced myself and i just and i actually just told her i said look i saw you on an instagram post 18 months ago and i've been Big, uh, That's awesome. You told her that. You know, trying to meet you, meet you ever since, and she had a big smile. And That's we, cool. So she wasn't scared. She wasn't like, "Oh nah, my god, this guy's stalking me." Nah, she wasn't. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. And so that was that was really a moment where I pushed myself past my comfort so how, zone. You gotta you gotta give the end result there. What happened? Yeah, we swapped numbers. I took her out on a on a on a date. We took her to a uh, basketball game, to a mm. Clippers game at Staples Center. We had a, had an awesome time. Held hands, talked about feelings, <laughs> <laughs> all the guy things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's just been, it's been a bit hard for us to connect subsequently because she yeah. travels a lot. She she and I travel a lot as well. Yeah. One of the downsides of being living in LA is that the people that you you meet here are all very fast paced and career minded, right. and so we all travel the world. And um, we just haven't got around to doing the second date yet. But it it doesn't matter, even if we don't do it. And it's and it's that it's just the the it was the idea of you know wanting something to happen for eighteen months and getting an opportunity and even though I was tired I didn't want to go back it's like that's that's your shot you got to take it yeah. and so I I took it so yeah no, that's good that's cool that's the I think that's the first you're the first person I've talked to where getting out of your comfort zone was actually going to going up to a girl yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah who's had the most 
if you had to point out one person who's had the single most profound impact on your life, whether business, personal, like business would probably be Ty, right? Yeah, I'd say in terms of in terms of my entrepreneurial life, it would be Ty Lopez. Someone I've met a couple times who's had an impact on my life is John Bon Jovi, the mm. musician John Bon Jovi. I was a massive Bon Jovi fan as a kid, and I got to interview him a couple times, and just not even the interviews that I did with him, but just just looking at his life, like he's been married to his school sweetheart. They've been married, I think, twenty five years. They've got three kids. He's very philanthropic. He gives to charity. He does what he wants to do. He's a rock star. Like he's very healthy. He's just a good guy, you know. Yeah, I admire that a lot. And so I try to be a good guy as well. And I try to be philanthropic. And I try to do what I want to do. And so you know. So is it more more based on his example, or did yeah. he, did he actually give you any kind of like? No, it wasn't advice that he gave just me. Just seeing his life. Just basically. seeing his life, yeah. and you know, and I'll often type into Google Bon Jovi and see what the latest news is, and you know, I'll read interviews with him and see how he chooses to live his life. I just like the balance that he has of family life, mm. good values, being charitable, having the same wife, and just I like that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Good old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> for an LA guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next on the horizon for you? What are you what are you most excited about? Obviously you've got the the blockers. Mm. Any other products in the pipeline that you, that you've got mm. coming I'm, up? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of I'm doing well, I shouldn't say I'm doing a lot of, but I'm doing more business coaching now. Mm. So I have this thing called James Swanick Inner Circle and I coach e commerce business owners, what I've learned from Ty and what I've learned building this this Swanick business. And so I have um, e-commerce business owners around the world who who come in and join my James Swanick Inner Circle cool. coaching program, and that gives me a lot of joy to coach, and you get paid for it as well, which is awesome, you know. So it's a business in itself. So is I that think, mainly for physical products, or no, it doesn't no, matter? No, Just no, it doesn't anything matter. online, physical or information products. Mm. You know, I'm basically teaching what I've learned. So how I build a million dollar business in eleven months, I teach that. You know, mm. how I how to get booked to speak on stage as I speak that, you know, how to grow a podcast, I, I teach that. And so people will join the inner circle and, yeah, I coach them over the year. So that's a lot of fun. And then the, the blue light blocking glasses, I'm turning that into a um, massive sleep company. Well, that's the goal. So not just a glasses company, but a company that, that helps people sleep through a lot of products. So what are some... Is this the only product currently, the blockers? No, we've got um, a sleep supplement. We've got a mm. sleeping mask. We have a magnesium spray and an air diffuser. We have a few things now to help people sleep better. That's awesome. I mean, that makes a huge difference in any kind of physical e-com businesses, you know, having having multiple products to sell because you already have the customer, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't have more products to offer them, mm-hmm. their lifetime values Correct. set. That's cool. As always, we always ask for a challenge mm-hmm. to throw out to the listener about uh, basically, a fell on challenge, something we can do to get outside our comfort zone. Yeah, go and just, just, I would just say, write down on a piece of paper or in a diary or keep track of, try to fail once every day. Well, don't try to fail, try to succeed, but if it results in failure, great. So don't be like, damn it. Well, actually, you will say damn it, but <laughs> just get into that habit, mm. train the muscle. So if you're a guy, approach try to approach a girl once a day if you're a single guy right yep. and if you're an entrepreneur try to make a, a piece of content every day by recording into your phone and stumble and not make it right and even you know. i think even if you're not an entrepreneur it's probably like you want to be right yeah but like you don't like we talked about earlier you don't have a business idea right like talk to the world right yeah put stuff out there totally I start like, a project you know start a business like do do one action like i actually like that word project because i think a lot of people 
they hear business and they're like, oh man, business, it sounds almost intimidating to them, right? Mm. But project, you know, you do projects in school growing up. Mm. I think if you look at it as a project, it's like, oh, it's not as scary as it seems. Yeah. One thing I've learned as well, and I still get it wrong to this day, is that I want to go too quickly and I, and, and, and I overestimate what I can do in a day. And I underestimate what I can do in a year. Totally. It's crazy. Like I put on my to-do list and I'm going to get all this done. And then the day just gets away. I don't know how it happens. In the same way, yeah. And I underestimate what's achievable in a year. And so in the, in the short term, in the day-to-day, you get frustrated that you're not getting things done. But actually, you look at it over time and you go, uh-huh, we've really moved the needle forward here. So the point I'm trying to make is that Jerry Seinfeld, the, the great comedian, used to have a thing on his fridge and it was like write a new joke every day. And every day he did mm. that, he'd just cross it out with the two red lines on his fridge. And that was how he kept tracking his progress that he was on, that he was, you know. I love that. I've heard, I've heard that story as well. And it's it goes along with the challenge, right? Like do do one thing each day that kind of pushes you gets, out, gets you, gets you outside your comfort zone. And over time that compounds crazily. Yeah. And look, that's the best advice that I can give you, but I also know that you're not going to do it perfectly because I don't do it perfectly. I I mess it up still, you know, it's, I'm actually disgusted with myself how many times, (laughs) like I know I have the keys to the kingdom. I know all the things I should be Mm. doing and I do them pretty effectively, but I don't do them perfectly. And if I did, then I'd be Done is better than perfect, right? Done is way better than perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, man. I'm not going to take any more of your time, but... Really enjoyed having you and enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. You got it. Next time, man. All right, all right. So you can find James at James Swanwick on Twitter. That's at James Swanwick. And of course, that spelling, along with all the links and resources James and I discussed, including more information on his website and mentorship programs, can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 034. And next week, we are sitting down with my man, Steve Sims. Steve runs an amazing company. It's, he's the founder of the luxury concierge company, Bluefish. Steve is known for being able to make basically the impossible possible for his clients, from getting a private underwater submersible tour of the Titanic to private dinners in the academia at the feet of Michelangelo's David in Florence to having a private romantic dinner in the Sistine Chapel with the performance by Andrea Bocelli. There's literally nothing Steve Sims can't get. And he also just published his book, Blue Fishing, thanks to the good folks over at Simon and Schuster. So in this episode, Steve will go into how he boldly actually just stumbled into the concierge business through pure ignorance and luck, and obviously a lot of hard work, but it's a fascinating episode. Don't miss it, it's coming up next. And if the podcast is providing value to your life and your business, I would love to hear from you. Please email me at rob at and let me know what your biggest takeaway from this episode is. And I'm sure James would love to hear it as well. As I continue to build Failon with the goal of helping employees become entrepreneurs through high ticket coaching and consulting businesses, I'd be really grateful for a couple things that are so small, but matter so much to me. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And when more people can find the show, it means it can help more people, which in return means you are helping people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, really easy. Just go to failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. 
For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.